I want to go back to Genesis to start. And most of us probably know the story. And I want to pick up on the day maybe where Adam and Eve are walking in the garden. You can almost picture, you can maybe even hear their footsteps walking on the the grass. You can hear the grass, the blades of grass and the, the dew from the morning just quietly crunching beneath their, fa- their feet. You can imagine the beauty of the sunrise that morning as they woke up and they see everything around them. They see the glory of God in the sunrise, but they hear the, the praises being sung by the birds. You can almost sense the joy that is filling them because as they sit there and take it all in, they hear some other footsteps and it's him. It's him walking, walking to meet them. It's him walking to have a conversation with them. It's him who they have a deep, intimate relationship with. But then you can imagine the day where they remember. The day where they can remember where everything changed. The day where they fatally took that that bite. The radical change that has happened, the bite of the fruit, and then instantly what happens is they realize something. They realize they now have shame upon them, and they realize that they are naked. That's a moment that's intriguing, because they went from being in the garden and seeing everything in, in the incredible splendor to now we are naked and shameful, and the first thing that they do is they run and they hide. You can almost feel and hear the heartbeat of Adam as he hides behind a bush. As he hears God cry out, where are you? My son, my child, my friend, where have you gone? You can start to see the sweat rolling down his head as he doesn't know how to answer. He doesn't know what to do. He's playing this holy game of hide and seek, but yet he's playing hide and seek with the one who knows all and sees all. He knows that he is at a disadvantage here. And he answers because he knows that God wants to be with him. God wants a relationship with him. And yet he wonders how this relationship could be restored. He did the one thing that the Father, God, just asked him not to do. How can this relationship that he now broke be restored to the perfection and the beauty that it once was? But even in the moments of the punishment, you can hear the hope Hope running through the voice of God that one day this beautiful relationship will be restored. I often think about that day because I can see myself in Adam. I can see myself in Adam of how I want to control the fruit and control the net the narrative of my life sometimes. I, I, and I think that was part of the tension of Adam. He wanted to control the fruit. He wanted to control the outcome. 
To trust God meant to totally submit, and that meant that he might not have full control, a control that maybe he desired and we desire even to this day. They wanted control over what was happening. And and maybe there were some moments that after that bite that they thought they knew a better way. They thought they could offer more than what they were were seeing. They they had this moment that maybe there's more fruit to offer that they could offer apart from God. But instead, what happened was sin and brokenness was created because they were separated. Pain and shame replaced deep intimacy. And Adam and Eve were disconnected from life, from God. Broken lives. Have you ever asked yourself, though, what are you connected to in your life? Have you ever asked that simple question? What are you connected to? Are we connected to the media? Is that the thing that's flowing and giving us, quote, quote, life today? Or, or maybe for some of us, are we so deeply and closely connected to friends that we've neglected a different relationship that we should be deeper connected to, the relationship with Christ? And there's maybe even some of us that have to ask the question of, are we even in the know of being connected to God. Whether that's us online or us here, the question is, what are you connected to? What's intriguing is, it's a simple question, but I think that the question is important, but not quite as important as the answer. This question, what are you connected to, is a question we're going to ask today, but we're going to get to the heart, we're going to get to the answer in a little bit. And the answer is something that we can't miss. And so I want to invite you to jump to John chapter 15 with me. We're going to dig into this, and this is what it says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Here's what's intriguing is that Jesus, in John chapter 15, he uses this terminology of a vine. And you got to remember that he's also talking to an audience of Jews. And so the Jews would associate the word vine, the terminology vine, with the symbol of Israel. That they would assume that the vine is Israel, the, the country of Israel. And because we are the chosen people of the vine, of course I'm connected, because I am a good Jew. But here's what's intriguing here. Read again that very first few words. He doesn't say Israel is. He says, I am. This is one of the great I am statements. This is a declaration of Jesus in the moment that I am changing everything once again. I am. And he doesn't just say I am the vine. He says I am the what? True vine. Again, he institutes his authority, the true vine. Nothing else is true besides me. I am the truth. I'm the true vine. Jesus, in this moment, is flipping the script. He's rustling some feathers and some good Jews' lives, and I'm here for it. 
Because here he is, he's speaking that the identity of his followers, if you're part of the true vine, if you're attached to the true vine, it has nothing to do with a nation anymore. It doesn't have anything to do with a church. It doesn't even have anything to do with a, re- a religion. It has everything to do with a close, intimate relationship to the vine, the true vine, Jesus himself. And what's intriguing is, um, I've said this multiple times before, and so if, if you're new here, this might be a surprise. Believe it or not, I'm much, I am not much of a gardener. I actually don't have any idea how to garden. I know you want to keep animals away because they eat all of your stuff, but besides that, I have no idea what to do. I know, it's a shock. But here's what's intriguing to me. What's intriguing is this, is that he's using this imagery, he's using this example. And more and more as I kept thinking about what it means to garden, the more and more I saw that if something is broken off from a plant, a natural thing happens. It dies. It dies. If I cut off a branch to a tree, the branch dies. It's the same if I cut off a branch from a lilac bush, the branch dies. Even if you transplant it into this water bottle, it will only survive for a limited amount of time. It dies. And Jesus is very clear about that. Not only is he the true vine, so we have to have this deep, intimate relationship with him, but the Father is the gardener. And look what he says. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That might seem harsh to us, but there's a reality that there's probably a lot of people who would say, oh, yeah, of course, I'm attached, I'm connected, but we're not bearing fruit. So what happens? It's cut off. And eventually what happens when the branch is cut off? It dies. See, branches depend more on the vine than maybe even a sheep depends on a shepherd, or maybe even a little toddler depends on a father. The branch dies if it's not connected. There is no life at all without a connection. And what's intriguing is he's over and over, Jesus is reminding and inviting them into a deep relationship. He's not shying away from it. Jesus is flipping the script over and over again. He's inviting to a deep relationship, and he's literally painting the picture right before their eyes of what this looks like. And he talks about his father as the gardener. And what's interesting is as he says that he cuts off every branch, and even the branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. Now, that would not only mean cutting off certain things so that you could have a bigger, more bountiful fruit, but that also means there were some times that in these vines, as they would grow, and they'd grow so big and dynamic that there were moments where the gardener would literally have to come and pick them up and hold them up or tie them up so that they wouldn't be on the ground and they wouldn't get trampled on. They wouldn't get destroyed. The bugs wouldn't get to them. Pruning is not just simply cutting things and trimming things, but pruning is caring and shaping them as well. And when when God talks about pruning, so often in our lives through things, we see them as these painful moments. Ah, why did you let me go through that, God? Anybody ever say that? You don't got to raise your hand, but I'm going to raise my hand because I say it all the time. Right? Right? 
God, why are you letting me go through this? God, why is this happening right now? God, where are you? Is this a moment, though, where God is pruning something? God is shaping something in our life so that we can have a more bountiful fruit later on? So often it's the pruning in lives that are maybe distracting us from a deeper relationship than God. Or maybe it's pruning of things in life that keep us from experiencing more of God or experiencing God in the fullest. Maybe it's pruning of things in life that we are choosing to put above him. But here's the kicker. Jesus doesn't just stop here. He continues on verses 4 through 8. This is what it says. Remain in me. Remain in me. Another translation would say abide in me. Remain in me as I also remain or abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Again, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, ah, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches, check it out. What happens? Such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me, and if my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you ever um, have an opportunity there is multiple different translations. And sometimes when I'm doing a different Bible study or if I'm looking at different contexts, I like to read it in different translations. And, and this translation, I want to read this next translation for you. And it, it's, it's a paraphrase. I'm going to be very honest. So this is not a translation I would sit here and say, do all of your inductive Bible study from, because I would not recommend that. But it's, it's the message paraphrase translation. And I think it has an interesting view that we can gain even more from in this. And this is what it says, these same four verses, okay? It says, live in me. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. Uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. And when you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. But separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up, thrown on the bonfire, roasty marshmallows. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home with you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. Ah, this is how my father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. Jesus, once again, is talking about a deep, personal, and mutual relationship here. A mutual relationship. Make your home in me and let me make my home in you. It's this deep and personal relationship. This is the relationship that I believe we saw early on in the garden. Where they intimately knew the footsteps, the sound of the footsteps of God the Father. 
And God the Father deeply and intimately knew their footsteps as well. They had this deep and personal relationship in the garden before the fall. And this is what I believe God is talking about. This is what Jesus is inviting us to get back to, a deep personal relationship where we are so intimate with each other that we know each other intimately. It's a continued connection between God and us. Even when we might not physically feel God or see God right here and now, when we abide in him, when we are with him and put our home in him, we know that we are connected to him. So it's that same question again. What are you connected to in life? Because here's the answer. Jesus says, be with me and I will be with you. What are you connected to in life? If we're connected to the media, we're missing out on fruit. If we're connected to social platforms, we're missing out on fruit. If we're connected to only our friends who tell us yes and don't push us and have challenging conversations, we're missing out on fruit. If we are not connected to Jesus, the true vine, we are missing out on bearing fruit. Jesus is very clear and he's very simple. Jesus says, be with me and I will be with you. He's redefining the relationship between God and man. He's totally shifting it. And it used to be that Israel again was the vine, but now it's no longer the vine. No longer that is, is the true source of life. It's Jesus and only Jesus. What's intriguing is, as you read more and more of his word, we start to discover what that looks like and what that means. Jesus starts to flip the script and says, your race doesn't define you no more. Your race won't define that relationship anymore. Your ethnicity won't, def won't define your relationship anymore. Your, your gender doesn't even define your relationship anymore. We are all invited to be attached to the true vine, Jesus, and be in an intimate relationship with him. And I also love that Jesus says that those who are attached to him will produce what? Fruit. Have you ever, have you ever like cut open an apple? We have one of those little things that, you know, you put on it and you push down on it and the apple like whoosh, falls apart real nice and neat. You know what I'm talking about? But you have to line it up right. And when you line it up right, it's one of the most rewarding feelings in the world because you don't get any of the core, none of the seed. You know what I'm saying? And you feel like you have conquered the day. Okay? But apples have these things in them called seeds. Anybody know that? You guys got science today too, did you know? Seeds. And here's what's intriguing about seeds. If you take a seed and you plant it, what happens eventually? If you are a good gardener, a tree comes. Did you know that fruit is made to multiply? It's designed to multiply. It's not designed to just be by itself. It's designed to multiply. Fruit is a multiplication equation. And when we bear fruit, that means we must multiply. We multiply what we are. See, the goal of abiding in Jesus, it's actually very simple. It's him. It's to be like him. The goal of abiding in Jesus is to be like him. 
to reflect him. Our goal isn't to perform or to look better or, or, or to act the part. Our goal is to be like him. Our goal is to be more and more that he is. With my two little boys, I don't want to make two little Kyles. That would be terrifying. That would be terrifying. If my two little boys, if all I did and all my goal was for their life as they grew up was to, was to say, I want you to be just like me, that would be terrifying. And that would be horrible. My goal is not to make little Kyles. My goal is to make disciples of Christ. I don't want to make better believers even as a pastor. And that sounds so weird. Don't freak out on me. Trust me on this. I don't want to just make better believers. It's not like, oh, perform better and get better at what you're doing so that you get an applause. I don't want to do that. I want to make true, dedicated disciples. I, I don't even want to make people who are just more knowledgeable about God. Because I think we miss the boat when we're just knowledgeable about them, about God. I want to make people, and I want to see people who are truly sold out for Jesus in every single aspect of life. That's what I want to see. My fruit better not be of me. My fruit always should be of Jesus. The goal of abiding in the vine is the vine. It's being so intimately and deeply attached that is all that flows through our bones and pulsates through our veins. The goal of the vine is the vine. Abiding is believing that the relationship with the source, Jesus, is more important than any success I can achieve in life. Abiding is believing that I am not the sum of my accomplishments, but rather I am a truly loved child of God. Abiding is learning to value God for who he is. Not what he can do for me. Over the past few months, um, I, I've been having regular sessions with my therapist. And what's been so intriguing is that this, this message has so deeply been resonating within me. And this is a lot of what we've been talking about. Essentially, it was the question I, I remember it as he looked at me and was like, well, Kyle, what are you abiding in? What are you attached to right now? Because one of the most incredible things that I discovered in these sessions with him is over and over and over again is that I was getting so frustrated with the things in life that I was starting to blame God. And he's sitting here and he's like, yeah, but dude, like, you're trying to like graft yourself into things that you were never designed to be abiding in. And here's the kicker. We blame some of these issues on God, but we have chosen to not abide in him and cling to him. And so when the things of life happen and we say, God, why are you letting this happen? He's like, why are you not abiding in me? I'm right here. I'm inviting you into this. See, the quality of the situation that we may be living in right now is a product of where we are abiding. If our world feels like it is in utter turmoil and chaos all the time, have we been inviting in the Prince of Peace? Oh! 
If our world is so painful that we don't even know what way is up, have we been inviting in the one who can take away all the pain because at the snap of his finger, at the word of him, have we been inviting in the one who, who at his very name can heal any disease ever known to man? If our world just seems so confusing, are we abiding in the one who is sitting on the throne in full control, not nervous or anxious about anything that's about to happen because he knows all already? The quality of the situation that we may be living in may be a direct correlation in a product of where we are abiding in. So what are you clinging to today? And what are you connected to in life? It's a simple question. Because for some of us lately, it's the media and it's spiraling us out of control. For others of us, it's been a self-medication that we go to in the form of a bottle, a pill, a website. For others of us, it's a relationship that we are journeying in and having that we know we never should be in. And for some of us, it's this friendship online that you know you never should have engaged in it. What are you clinging and connected to in life? Because Jesus is clear. He says, Jesus says this, be with me and I will be with you. And I'm telling you this, I want to share this with you. Some of the most pivotal and clear moments and glimpses of God I've ever gotten have been in the moments where I've just sat and I was just being with God. Those moments where it's not just to check something off my book to say, ah, I did my devotional today. It's not just something to fulfill the obligation, but rather the most clear and beautiful holy moments I've experienced in my life have come from just the joy of sitting in the presence of God. Years ago, um, I was this young college kid. (laughs) And I remember taking this trip. And it was to this place called IHOP, not the pancake place. The International House of Prayer. In Kansas City, Missouri. There's not much in Missouri, by the way. But we drove this 15-passenger van with all these college kids. And I remember it. And we show up, and it was incredible, right? There's hundreds upon thousands of people in this place, and, and everybody's just there to worship God. And I remember sitting there in this middle of this worship set, and all of a sudden, everything went quiet. And when I say everything went quiet, it's not that like the band stopped and nobody was around. It literally was like, I I just couldn't hear anything besides just this still small whisper. This moment where I felt truly convicted. And I remember writing down this, this thing in my journal here. And I was feeling this to the core. It says, the church's message today is try harder to get better. But Christ's message is and always has been. Eat my body, drink my blood, become part of me, abide in me. 
What's intriguing to me is even as this young college student, I was sitting there and I was searching and searching and searching because my world in some ways was feeling like it was still spiraling out of control. Some days I was grafting myself out of the vine and putting myself grafted into the media. And then the next day I'd release that one and I'd go to a social media or I'd go to my friends or whatever it might be. I was searching. I was trying to become the better version of Kyle. But instead, God was revealing to, to me in this moment that, Kyle, you don't need to be a better version of you. When you are with me and I am with you, you become like me. And don't take it personally, bro, but like that's so much better than any version of you that you could be. And I was moved in this moment, this conviction that we don't have to get better before getting with God. For a young college student, Kyle, I didn't have to get better. And that was good news because for my whole life, that's all I've been trying to do. All I have to do is just be with God. Let him make his home in me and my home in him. It's that intimate, personal, deep relationship that nothing else will control our desires besides him. It was in those moments where I started to reflect that I can't achieve anything of spiritual value independently from God. Nothing of spiritual value can come if I'm not attached to him. And that was deeply resonating these past few months as my counselor, therapist, and I have been journeying through this. No matter what I do, I cannot grow fruit when I'm disconnected from the vine. I cannot bear fruit when I'm disconnected from the vine. When Adam and Eve were disconnected from God, we saw things go downhill rather quickly, by the way. We can't bear fruit disconnected from the vine. And what happens when we disconnect? No fruit. No healthy spiritual life. To abide in Christ means to fully submit to his plan and his will for our lives. To trust the things he's producing in our lives. And to plant the seeds that he has given us to those around us. As, uh, as we close today, as Josh comes up, I don't want to miss this with us. God desires an intimate, deep relationship with each and every one of us. But he wants that in the terms of community as well. What's interesting, if you go back and you read this exact same passage, you'll discover something. You'll discover that the whole text here is plural. It's more than one person. It's you and it's me. It's you and it's God. It's God and it's me. It's us. It's plural. He's inviting us to a communal engagement and also a personal one. 
Because when we abide in Jesus and we produce fruit, and that fruit gets planted and it starts to multiply, you now have just moved past one person, and now you're moving to a multitude of people. And can you imagine what happens when that multitude of people also abides in Christ and abides in him and grows in him and they plant seeds and now that multitude grows dynamically? And what could happen? What could sweep across a community when, when people decide to fully and truly surround themselves and sell out for the gospel at everything they have? Not holding anything back. But to say, God, I am yours and you are mine. Jesus, be with me and I want to be with you. You see, our world says you can find your worth in social media. You can find your worth in work. You can find your worth in so many other places. But I think Jesus is very clear here. I think he's always been very clear. We are created to be together in the presence of God. And that's why it's important for us to be together in community groups. They grow, help us grow closer personally with Jesus, but they also help us grow closer relationally. And they help us grow and support each other. <clears throat> What's interesting for me is that this is my journal that's not full yet, but it's full of just random notes, full of random prayers, full of random things. And I was reading through it this past week and just finalizing some stuff for this message and I was, I was brought to tears because there's some prayers in here that some students wrote when they were in fifth grade. And now they're serving in ministry. There's some deep cries in here from just a young Kyle to a God who he felt was so distant. And there's some deep moments of God pouring out his heart to a broken boy searching for a good father. And there was this prayer in here. That just resonated with me. And so I would actually love to just share this, this cry of my heart back in the day. I don't even know what day this would have been. I'm one of those dudes who should write a date in these things, but I never do. But this was just a moment where God was just speaking to me. And this is the prayer I wrote and I... I don't know, maybe somebody just needs to hear it today. Maybe somebody just needs to resonate with it today. Maybe there's someone sitting at home who's just searching and could just use this moment. And so this is my prayer for us today. And so after this prayer, we're going to continue to worship. And so as I read this prayer, you know, the band's going to come up and, and we're going to worship afterwards. But would you, just, would you just bow your head and just receive this as a prayer today, as a cry? Lord, we pray, we anticipate, and we cry for your floodgates of heaven to open up and to pour out your spirit onto us. To not have you hold back. God, we want to see you and feel your spirit poured out onto us like a full-out downpour in the middle of a hot summer day. 
God, we want to be refreshed with your holy anointing, your spirit, when we, our nation and our world, need it the most. We want to be fully washed with the spirit and the power of him who conquers and makes all things go and all things work. So, Lord, pour out your spirit, God. Pour out your spirit onto us like a downpour right now. Open up the floodgates like a mighty rain. We cry and we ask your spirit to be poured out. Amen.